This is Nina Rao, guest podcaster on the Be Here Now Network. I'm so happy you will be joining us in this conversation with Brinda Shait about her beautiful trilogy, Sita's Fire, a sensitive retelling of the Ramayan from this young woman's point of view. We share a lot of moving moments and situations in this story in our discussion with Brinda and my dear friend, Kelly Lalita. Please enjoy. If you'd like to find out more about her books, please visit sitasfire.com. And you know where to find me, ninaraochant.com. Jai Sita Ram. Namaste, everyone. Welcome to our little podcast session here. And we're so happy to be with Brinda. Or Vrinda, which is better, Vrinda? Either one is perfectly fine. I don't know. It's so funny having been in Vrindavan. I somehow the burst seems to come out. So Vrinda Shit yeah. with my friend Kate Kaylee, Reddy Tucker, all the names. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we wanted to spend a little time with Vrinda to talk about her amazing work, um, which is the Sita's Fire trilogy. So thank you for being with us today, Sita. Sita. Okay. That's She's, on, be- our mind. She's on our mind. She's on our mind. But before we start, I always like to have a chant, but because we have you with us, would you share an invocational chant? Um, we would really love that. Absolutely. So I'm going to share one of my favorite mantras right now that I've kind of been leaning on to just get me out of whatever is going on in my mind to release all that and it's you know the very ancient quite well known asatoma sadgamaya i want to just say one thing brinda it might be better if you don't have the tambura because the zoom is not able to know what to focus on so if you want to hear it just to get your drone and then sing without it okay Asatoma 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 Sadgamaya Tamasoma Jyotirgamaya Mrityurma Amritam Gamaya Mrityurma Amritam Gamaya. Lead us from the unreal to what's real and true, from darkness to light, and from death to the eternal, all the small deaths and the final one. Lead us to the light. Thank you. 
it seems like that's the journey in the whole trilogy. Mm. And um, I was actually, now we're going to jump around for those of you who haven't read the book, because <laughs> uh, there's so much. Um, Brinda has written this beautiful telling of the Ramayan after doing her own research and having her own influences as in your readings, but also in your life to to retell the story of the Ramayana, which I think for many of us can be so much more fulfilling on one level. I mean, we're all drawn to the story of the Ramayana. It's a devotional text and we keep coming back to it because it's Leela and Leela wants to be told and heard many times over. But there's always the question for a lot of women about the, the role of Sita in the story of the Ramayana. And for me, um, my feeling when I read these books was that you were able to find the spaces or gaps, if you will, um, of the internal story of what's happening with Sita. Like we don't hear that in many of the other tellings. And in, in throughout this book, I think you speak as her in first person. And share a lot of that with us. So I'll just go over a little bit of the timeline and tell me if I'm correct. Because um, we really want to understand how it is. Um, looks like the first book came out in 2016. Yeah. The second one in 2017. And then the third one in 2021. Right. And during yeah. this time, I believe you had three children. Is that true? <laughs> yes. That's, that's kind of why the gap there from you know 2016 2017 I was on a roll and then you know motherhood with three young ones really just took over my life for for a while and is still taking over my life but uh, yeah a, a big reason why this work was able to come to completion is because my mom um, is the illustrator of the of the work so if it had just been up to me I think I would have dropped out you know, at an early point, but I had her to hold me accountable. I had to complete the project because she was there, you know, painting and doing her sadhana and being, you know, uh, producing art. So I had no option, but, you know, to follow her footsteps, so to say, and just really keep it, um, follow through on my side. So I really want my mom's, you know, presence, her effort, her vision, uh, without it, it, it 100% would have not come to completion. So, you know, she's really the backbone. She's not, you know, here, but I'm in, invoking her, um, her glory, so to say, because it was really, she was the visionary and the one who made me follow through and complete the project. Amazing. I'll just ask you a question and then because Kaylee had some questions about this also about your family. Um, when you embarked on the project and your mom started creating the art, had you already um, thought of and shared with her how it was going to play out? No, not at all. Yeah. Um, it started actually you know, way before 2016, I was in my early 20s. I was studying dance in, in Kalakshetra. 
And my mother was already working on this project with another writer and that writer dropped off and she kind of pulled me in. So I had this whole work just came to me like destiny, nothing that I had envisioned or planned for or ever thought that I would take on, you know, because I was raised with these stories and they are descended from a very high place and really held that sacred space. So it's nothing that I, little me, would think that I had any authority over or any say in, you know, so it's not something that I myself would have ever gravitated towards. And it was quite a long process also you know, after my mom brought me on board for me to find my stride, find my place, find my voice, find what I really was doing, uh, took many years. It was quite a process. Um, so, so, but then, and my mom always, you know, kind of reminds me of this, like once I hit my stride, then it just, bloomed into this trilogy my mom's original vision was just doing you know one one book and then suddenly when I hit my stride it just was an overwhelming flow of 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 creative inputs or so to say and then it turned into this trilogy and then that put a lot of stress on my mom to actually produce more artwork than she had anticipated so it really pushed her as an artist and you know was quite stressful for her at some point you know with the deadlines of publishing and like that but even now when we're all said and done, she's still producing uh, Ramayan-related art because it, it it kind of, you know, jump-started her or pushed her craft also to another level. Beautiful. Yeah. So I was just, I was thinking about when you were, when I was reading the book, I was, um, because I was a literature major actually in my undergraduate. And I learned, and I was, I read a lot of 19th century um, female authorship. And in that, I learned that Jane Austen, I think it was Jane Austen, it might have been George Eliot, but I think it was Jane Austen would write and she had a bunch of children. So she would sit at the kitchen table and she wrote like Pride and Prejudice and all these books. And at the end of whatever novel she finished, no matter what time of day it was, she would start the next one. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so, I mean, this is such a massive undertaking. And I noticed the first book you have, um, it's dedicated to your eldest it's it's dedicated to Naimi. And then the third, by the third book, it's a dedication to all three children. Yeah, so that, yeah. that struck me because I know how hard it is to pull off such an, a massive endeavor, you know, and it's interesting because it was like a multi-generational endeavor, which is very much how women have historically worked. But I was just wondering a little bit about how your, like what your process was like. How did you, how did you manage all of this? Because I think it's fascinating and it's inspirational to, to see a woman be able to pull something off with so much detail. So what was your process like? I mean, you spoke a little bit about your mom and her role in that, but for you. Yeah, actually, you know, my daughter was born in 2013 and Shadows of the Sun Dynasty came out in 2016. Um, so I really, you know, becoming a mother for the first time is, was, you know, I tell my daughter all the time, that was the happiest day of my life. The day she was born is still like the happiest day of my life. But having said that, it, it also is a huge transformation, a huge shift, which can feel, you know, traumatic and overwhelming and just, oh my God, suddenly there's no space for me because all my energy is going into this little 
being, you know, so I was very much in that postpartum, tender, vulnerable mother, figuring out so many things. But then, you know, at some point when she turned around one year, one year old, then I started feeling like it's a terrible word, but it's kind of monotony. A certain monotony sets in, you know, changing diapers, nursing again, putting them to nap. And, you know, so I was kind of in that cycle and I felt my, my mind was exploding. It was like desperate. So a lot of Shadows of the Sun Dynasty book one was actually conceived during the, all those, you know, very quiet moments when I'm either nursing or at night nursing, you know, or, or trying to put her to a nap, all these very quiet moments and sometimes not so quiet moments. But that was actually when I, it was a win-win in a way because I had so much excess energy in, in my mind space that I, I needed to engage and it just was a natural fit. So I, I, in that sense, I, I feel like motherhood was compatible for me. It was kind of the push I needed also because time is so limited. So I had no time to sort of everything that was going on here, my ideas, my creative ideas, my character building. I didn't have time to be mental or to question or to, it was like, either I do this or I don't do it because time is so limited with, with being a mom. So, so motherhood really pushed me to put a lot of my, my doubts and my sort of mental brooding side that I, that I have and that held me back before being a mom. So I have actually felt motherhood to be um, quite a necessary framework for me to actually be productive, even though, you know, it's ironic because my time is so limited. So I don't know, does that, does that kind of answer it? I'm still wondering though, because I'm, I'm, I'm picturing you and I, I, this is, you know, in order to write this story, it's not something that you pulled entirely out of your imagination. You're using the structure right. of the traditional story. So mm-hmm. the first thing that I imagine you would have to do, and you probably did this in your youth, uh, was the hearing and reading, rereading of the stories and learn, knowing the structure and the details and facts. And then what I feel when I read what you wrote was how your imagination connected the dots in a way that really filled out the story from a woman's standpoint. So even in the very first telling Shadows of the Sun Dynasty, you know, we know about Kaikei, but we don't know how and why. And, you know, the way you went into the roots of her story going way back, I found that just incredibly um, resourceful in, in not, not just looking at the, at, at other texts, but like going into your own psyche um, to find like what creates this situation in a being in such a way. So that was just my feeling. So I think also from as a follow-up to Kay, uh, Kaylee's question is like, when did you, how did you find these resources and references in the beginning to even start the process of um, your telling? Mm. So initially, you know, my, when my mother uh, brought me on board, I wrote entirely just from memory because, you know, I grew up without TV, um, you know, without a lot of uh, typical Western influences. I grew up very much, you know, Mahabharata. 
Ramayan, Puranic stories, that's it. So it was very uh, present in my mind. So I actually wrote the first draft entirely from memory and I would just fact check certain things or go in to find certain details like, oh, what was Ram's bow made of, aloe wood, you know, like those kind of things that I didn't necessarily um, recall. But, you know, this is in that early phase when I'm still completely questioning, like, how dare I do this? This is just so audacious. Like, wow, I'm like, I was still in that very much just, I hadn't really, it hadn't clicked for me. Like, what am I doing here? But then, you know, when I, when I eventually came to the end of, you know, writing the first draft of the entire trilogy, I just had that, you know, really light bulb moment where I realized, wow, you know, Sita really was the key for me that unlocked this, you know, Sita. I just realized that for me, she is the central character of the story. But where is she in the story? Like I had even written the whole first draft and she was like a very minor character that is referenced through the other characters. She's really not center stage at all. So that blew my mind and opened me to my own assumptions, like my own, the way the story had come to me and the way I was retelling it was very male centric and very just about Hanuman, you know, whom we all love. And then Ram, Lakshman, Dashrath, all the male characters were just there, so strong, so solid. And then I realized this is my work. There is something missing here. This is such a rich storytelling tradition that gave me courage, first of all. Like, I'm not just inventing something. I'm taking part in the storytelling tradition. There has been so many additions and, you know, this kind of creative process with the Ramayan. But then I realized this, you know, Sita, who is the heroine of the story, has, like, in the traditional tellings, such a small role, just like, she takes up about 10% of the text, you know, scholars have counted the verses, the 24,000 verses. And then, you know, so then what to speak of Kaikei, Mantara, Koshalya, Mandodari, all these other female characters, they're just like, so it, with that clarity, I went back to the very beginning of the story and read some of these, you know, crucial scenes. Like there is this crucial scene between Mantara and Kaikei that is just so awesome and so rich with information, really, um, between Mantara and Kaikei in that climactic moment. You know, we all know she's the evil hunchback whispering to the queen, and then it destroys the entire Sun Dynasty, really. But that's all it is in the traditional telling. It's just this one scene, in and out, and then we never hear more from them or not. So I really use this tool that's called retrograde plotting. I, I, I said to myself, okay, this is what I know about these characters. And this is what I know that they did. This is the influence Mantara had. This is the influence Kaikei had. How did the, these two females get to this place of being so interconnected and also being at such a high level of power within the Sun Dynasty's hierarchy? You know, So they were incredibly powerful interesting complex women so you know starting with what i what i know happened i just kind of plotted backwards and and made my way back to think you know so yeah does that um does that yeah i mean it's 
me because I felt like in the telling and the earlier tellings or the other tellings that I've heard of Ramayan, so many of the female characters are just one dimensional. Like they, they perform a role and to, to drive the plot, but you don't know why, like, why is, why did Kaike make the decision she made? What was, what was her emotional state? What was her, what was driving that, that, you know, what was driving her energy? Why was she envious or all of those different things. And then I felt like you were able to just explain that in a way and tell it in a way that seemed to be so much, it, it delved into all these subtleties of the reality of, of the, the female relationships and all of that. And that, and that, that theme was so beautifully threaded throughout all three books. And you see Sita as the central character who's not just an object, so she's an object, almost in, even in Ramcharit Manas, she's like an object. And then she gets like moved around like a pawn and that you were able to somehow so deeply, you know, open up the subtleties and the, and the, the deepness of her experience. So, and that, you know, so I was just wondering, you know, my, my question had been, you know, how did you, were, were, were a lot of those tellings just from your own experience, but it seems like you kind of answered that question already. So, you know, we have so many questions. <laughs> um, Sita specifically, you're wondering, or or just... Well, I think Sita specifically, yeah, because for, for me, she was the central character. And and I, I did notice, and maybe you can talk a little bit about this, how, she, how she's at the center, and then she's relating to all the other female characters. And in, in the earlier tellings or the other tellings that I heard of Ramayan, I, I don't see the relationships between the women, which doesn't at all uh, make any sense, you know, as a woman and my own experience living in the world, women are very interconnected and interrelation, you know, relationship based. Mm. So it's interesting that you were able to bring that out. So maybe you can tell us specifically about Sita and then relate it to the other characters or maybe even just one character. Yeah. You know, um, Destroyer of Sorrow, where I go into, you know, Sita's first person point of view and really um, try to be with her in this time of captivity. You know, there's question how long exactly her captivity was, but I believe, you know, there's a general consensus that it was around 11 months and, and probably 14 days, if you want to be specific. So nearly a year she was, you know, held in captivity. So that was actually really intense for me emotionally to try to be with this woman when she is in this super intense position, completely alone, especially given the fact that she was so sheltered in a time where a woman was dependent on a man and her identity was very much, I need to be protected by a man. That was the culture. Um you know, so so that was a huge part of her identity, being a sheltered princess, being a wife, being a daughter. All her these identities were so much part of her. And suddenly she's ripped away from all of that. And then, you know, at the mercy of this, you know, sexual predator, which is what Ravana really was. And so to really be in that experience was really emotionally draining and kind of uh, intense and but I tried to really be with it because I felt like there hasn't been enough 
I feel like that time gets skipped over. Oh, she, you know, and then Ram came and the war, woohoo, you know, and, 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 and so I really wanted to be with her in that time. And again, because there's so little in the traditional texts. So, you know, for example, in the Valmiki Ramayan, in the Sundarakhand and, and the Yudakhand, where all of this, the captivity takes place, there is basically three scenes in the original text, which I worked more or less like a beginning, a middle and end of her time in captivity. So I had those three scenes and they're, they're in, you know, the, the middle scene is, of course, Hanuman meeting Sita and giving the ring. But, you know, so then there was all this missing stuff in between that I really just had to drop deep into prayer, into just Sita, please, I'm, I'm just trying to understand you, please help me understand what your process was, what was your role, your agency, and then, you know, just really trusting the creative process, which any artist will tell you is is quite a challenge to trust creative ideas and allow them to to go with them. So I, I, this was actually the foremost point where if it wasn't for my mom, like I mentioned before, I would have absolutely taken the whole manuscript and just maybe burnt it or thrown it away and like, <laughs> thanks for turned not- away. <laughs> <laughs> it was just so intense. It just confronted me with so much uh, within myself and just as an artist, a woman, um, Sita and her missing story and, you know, and the intensity of, of how the ending goes there with the reunion is not the happy reunion. And, you know, there's just so much there that I was just like, I cannot, I just was like in that deep, dark place where I'm like, the only way forward is to throw this away and move ahead. But I couldn't do that because of my mom. So I had to just face it and 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 let it be what it was. And that's what Destroyer of Sorrow is. My 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 best effort, my prayer, my my love for Sita. And I'm sure that it's imperfect and complete and is just, you know, in the realm of this is the, plausible things that could have been her journey yeah I can feel I I, when as you're talking um I just want to say that in the reading of your text um and your words you know it's interesting I I looked at your mom's art a lot but when I think back now mostly I was really pulled in by your words and your descriptions of um, not just feelings, but also the texture of things, um, what the environment was like, what things smelled like, what things felt like, what things tasted like. And it really created like a three-dimensional feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was very beautiful to experience. And then, of course, I went back and I kept looking at the drawings and art. And I have to say some of her art, particularly of the wildlife, is completely gorgeous to me because I've spent a lot of time in the jungles in India and they're really beautiful and right on. I love them. Thank you for that. It's really, because it's, you know, so much of the story is happening in the forest and we don't get a, we don't get to be in the forest in the way that they were. So to have that come alive was really beautiful. Um, I want to just ask you about Sita again, because of course, for me also, she's a central figure. Um, in trying to 
you know, if if the Ramayana or the Ramcharitmanas is a map of our lives, um, what I found missing for me was how to find our way as a woman. And, and I think that we've all had to fill in those spaces in the same way that you have. Uh, you've actually written it down, but we've had to feel our way through it to try and understand better why it is that in a lot of the traditional tellings of the story, the women are considered to be obstacles or a burden in, in a lot of ways. You know, either they had to be cared for or um, they were going to be an obstacle to practice because of their wiles and, you know, all kinds of reasons. And, but what I did feel, even in the traditional texts, was the bond between Sita and Ram is established very early in the, as soon as they catch sight of each other, even in the traditional tellings. Mm -hmm. And the bond goes, you know, backward in time. So it's something that they feel as soon as they see each other and they recognize that it's old, as old as anything. And it's what's going to hold them together. And with that, with the strength of that, they can go forward and do whatever they have to do in the next uh, phases of life. But it's, it's never really made clear to me, except in certain places in the Ram Charitmanas, which is the version that I've read the most, I think, uh, Tulsi Das is telling, that Ram, it's never said explicitly that Ram needs Sita as much as she needs him. And I feel that, do you feel that in your telling of the story that that was something that you explored? Thank you for for that. Um, Yeah, Sita and Ram's love story is definitely something that was so much on my mind. And I love that you, you know, acknowledge that their bond is so central. And yeah, so I have definitely thought a lot about that. And one of the beauties, because I ended up, you know, initially, like I said, I I was just writing this from memory. And when I actually began my research, I, I saw that my version of the Ramayana was based on, you know, Kamban Ramayana, which is the Tamil one, and Ram Charitmanas and Valmiki and folk tales. They were all like mashed into one. So I realized that that wasn't going to work for my retelling because, you know, I already had my own additions. So I needed a solid foundation. So I chose Valmiki Ramayana as my foundation. So I have spent quite a lot of time with Valmiki Ramayana. So you're saying Ram Charitmanas for you. So for me, it's uh, Valmiki. And one of the reading it for myself really transformed my relationship to Ram because I was very angry with him. And very much when my mom actually wanted me to write this, I wasn't very excited because I felt a lot of judgment and a lot of anger towards Ram, especially in light of, you know, we we often hear growing up and and, and a lot of the talk of Ram is he's 
the best king, the best man, the best human being, you know, like that. And then, you know, I didn't feel like that's consistent with his behavior that he displays. And that, so it just created a lot of mismatch and a lot of confusion and anger. And I didn't know even what to do or how to express any of that. But reading the Valmiki Ramayan for myself really brought me to a much softer place with Ram. Not that I agree or understand all the episodes or or all the behaviors but for example when sita is taken from him his reaction is he just he is like i cannot live without her this whole world cannot even exist without her and he is ready to destroy everything and just you know he's like this is it this is the end for me like you took sita from me this is done you know so in that sense we see like for him he needed Sita. And even the fact that he brought her to the forest um, showed that too, because Lakshman was against it. Many of the people were against it. Uh, you know, a, a woman of her position was not even expected to necessarily go outside, what to speak of, survive in the jungle. So they already kind of went their own way there by, um, by bringing her. So he'd already shown like, I need her. We need each other. And then the depression that he goes into, like once he, he, you know, Lakshman is able to, you know, don't destroy the world. There is kind of that, that, that larger than life moment where Ram's power, because in the Valmiki's Ramayana, he has to kind of remain human. That's the whole, you know, that's the only way he can actually destroy Ravan because of all the boons and all that stuff. But so there is that larger than life moment where he is like, I'm going to destroy everything. And Lakshman brings him back. But then once he's back, it descends into his human psyche. He just descends into this deep, deep depression. Like he doesn't want to eat. He doesn't want to do anything. Like even searching for Sita, like have, having even hope is like beyond even right. him. So you, here, you know, I was introduced to a version of Ram that I had never heard about or seen where he's completely de demoralized, completely devastated, completely just, he cannot live without her. And, and this is when Lakshman really, you know, takes over and is like, we're going to do this. We're going to find her you know, you can't give up. And he keeps giving all these pep talks to Ram, like you need to be a man and you need to be strong. And this is not the time to, you know, be depressed. But but really Ram uh, stays in that place the whole time, you know, more or less. And and of course, that that's why it's really hard to understand you know in that reunion we want to see this oh the war has been fought ravana is slain and now we're going to have this reunion like we're all aching for it to just be sita and ram and yes they're together and that's not the story we get um but that's uh maybe uh another you know kind of topic or, or it's no it's very i mean you just led us to the point <laughs> where we should talk about it. Um, one of the interesting things I found in the way in which you were telling the story is, um, well, there's so many things. Firstly, um, the way in which 
Sita recognizes herself as daughter of the earth and her alignment with the forces of nature, elements of nature. And through the telling of the story, she finds out more and more about that, about herself and her ability to harness those elements and uh, really show basically that's, you know, that's her Shakti. She's finding her way in the world using her power. Uh, And Shakti belongs to everyone. Each one of us has it, male or female. But the other thing, the other place that I found um, such an important, because to me, there had to be a reason that Sita had to stay with Ravan for so long before anything could happen. So if she, in fact, is not separate from Ram, and they both had come to dispel the darkness who is in the form of Ravan. So her part in it was not simply showing up as a victim um, and starving herself, but so much more was going on in her association with Ravana during that time. She kept her mind steadfast on Ram. However, on the subtle level, there was an interplay going on, you know, with the Maya that's created by Ravan and her own subtle Shakti level that has not really been spoken about in the detail with which you give it. And so much of that is our own inner turmoil, right? Again, even not as a woman necessarily, even as a man. Where are we going to, the play, interplay between the light, the power, and the darkness that could pull us down and make us doubt ourselves. So, so much of that is told. I'm not going to give give that away because people <laughs> should really read that. It's so beautiful. I want to just say, say that I really commend you on your exploration of that. It's really important. And, um, and yeah. Because I really, I just want to highlight that for me, that was yeah. a huge premise. You know, this like Ram was needed to slay Ravan and the darkness, but he couldn't do it without Sita. She was crucial to this happening. So that really was one of my main premises. Yeah. So I, I love that that you you felt felt that. Um and, and Queen of the Elements, the start of chapter 21, um the, the first line is now I will take you with me to the moment when I could no longer ignore who I truly am. And it's Sita speaking. It just struck me because she talks a little bit, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but she talks a little bit about how she's even grateful to to Ravan for pressing her for um because she has to she has to figure out who she is. And so much of this telling of the Ramayana is about that for me, that she she's finding out who she is. And I felt like, and it was some parts of it, like you said, when writing them, they were really intense when she's trapped and when she's um, and even the way that you were able to portray her, you know, Ravens, like, re- like he never came out to me as like a sexual predator or gaslighter before. And I was actually feeling like almost like a, a revulsion in my body, like a physical experience of Raven. So it was always very much like almost like a puppet show externalized. And this one was like very visceral for me. But I see that in that Sita doesn't, she's not a victim. She refuses to be a victim and she claims agency and has 
her own um, her own experience where she where she she finds her shakti. So I, for me, this was like such a crucial thing because I felt like that was always missing in the other tellings of it. I thought, how can she just be this like pawn or this? You could see her from the outside, but nothing of her inside, which which um, Nina and I were speaking about um, the role of Rampa. And um, in this little sort of subtext of the story, but actually is driving so much of the story. And actually it seems, it seems to me almost like she's has this like Christ-like sacrifice where she, where she experiences something. So Sita doesn't have to, which is, which is like Christ did. I was like, so it's like so deeply intense so maybe you could talk a little bit about your inclusion of her because I don't remember her showing up in other other tellings and but so important. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so I mean I also grew up with these kind of devotional Bollywood renditions of the Ramayan and 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 Ravana is always like this pot-bellied guy with a mustache who's always like ho oh, 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 and like just like a Disney like cartoon villain. But it is embedded very clearly in the text itself that he was a rapist. He was somebody who would, you know, just take women, whoever he wanted, and and just do what he wanted with them. And so there is this really intense scene in the Uttarakhand where the scene of Ramba and, and Ravana, he pursues her, he rapes her. And oh, it's just it's 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 hard to talk about. It's so yucky. But anyway, so she goes to her protectors, Nala Kubera, and says this is what happened. And then Ravana does get this curse that he will not be able to do this again to another woman. And so that's sort of the the protection that embraces Sita. And I hadn't thought of the way you're saying that Ramba kind of took the fall for Sita and for womankind in a way. But uh, she was also not the first and the only uh, woman that Ravan did this to. You know, he had a history of this. He was a sexual predator. He was, that. that's what he did. But, you know, it, it, it is a relief that, to, to that at least in Sita's case, because, you know, even now, if we look at, you know, there are terrible stories, even uh, modern stories of women being held captive. And we know what, what they have to endure is not just um, the intent of evil and, and exploitation. They actually live with it on a daily basis, their bodies their minds, everything being just taken from them. So in that, in that sense, it was quite a relief, just, okay, well, that didn't happen to Sita, at least, you know. But I felt like it was very, very important to bust that idea of Ravana just being, you know, because even in, in more devotional circles, I often hear things like, well, he was actually a scholar and he was so knowledgeable and Ravan, you know, actually, you know, there is like, kind of this just like dismissal or or not really willing to look at the brutal truth of what Dravana actually was and what he was capable of and what he had done to so many women. And Sita 
you know, and that that's also why I really wanted to bring in, you know, I, I, I bring in, this is also from the text itself, these hundred women who are taken by him from their home. They all band together and, and curse him that, you know, you think we're so weak and that you can just do this to us. It's going to be a woman. That's your downfall. She's going to come. And then, you know, Sita is sort of the answer to that prayer. You know, she is able to be the cause of his downfall. So again, she played such a crucial role. It had to be her. It couldn't be done without her. And um, I don't remember reading about Dhanya Malini. Was she in, in, is she in the Valmiki? Uh, where did she come from? Yeah, so she is in the text. So she is one of his wives. And I sort of mixed, you know, he had a harem of 7,000 women. So he had all these women. And there are several scenes where the women are quite sympathetic to Sita, you know, when Ravan comes out and he's like doing various like obnoxious things to her. And the and the women are kind of with Sita and they try to like, forget about her, just come with us. We want you. Why are you, you know, so some of the dialogues and some of Danya Malini's effort to, you know, be with Sita definitely come from that. But uh, part of it is is just, adding to that where I, you know, I, I, I know that she would have had female allies and she had many, uh, there were many women because even all her guards were women because Ravana was so obsessed that even Vibhishan, imagine this is, I didn't realize this until I read that even Vibhishan had never seen Sita. That's right. None of these people, none of the men in Lanka had ever seen her because Ravan was so obsessed with her. He wouldn't let anybody see her. So all her guards were female only some of the, you know, his, uh, the women had access to her. And of course, many of them were sympathetic to her. And they did rally like around her to, to help her. So some of it is, is in the text, but again, it's, it's sometimes just like these, you know, one liners or um, these little sprinkles that I then, you know, hold on to and then build a character around. I found her very moving, uh, especially because um, I think also, Sita sees her resemblance to herself in her. Right. And on some level, in her encounter with her and also seeing her death, her next step that happens when Ram actually arrives and then she has to deal with the fact that the first thing he's asking for her to do is to get dressed. <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah. when I first read that I said wait really I had to like take a long pause there to try to understand um and I, I feel also your treatment of this is also very helpful um because she she is a little bit like well why aren't you coming quickly but then she also understands that this whole battle has been waged you know in her name and so she has to on some level by not showing up there in her rags uh and in her state she's actually showing her non-victimhood in the situation yeah. by really showing up as a queen um i didn't 
I couldn't get there on my own. Like I had to really <laughs> reread that a few times to, to understand why she needed to show up in that way. And people really saw her then as a force. But unfortunately, she still had to be put to another test. And this, um, I found, so I want you to, maybe you can just, in the final chapters, hang on, let me tell you which one it is. <laughs> because this is how we mark things. <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you so much for reading. A lot of people find it um, intimidating. It's daunting when you look at the size of the book, but once you get into it, it's not daunting at all. Mm. And then I want to talk to you about this too. We have so much to talk about. <laughs> my, one of my mom's favorite. Yeah. It's just, it's, yeah, that part. The whole nine skulls thing and, and going into Ravana's tapasya, you know, for Brahma's boons. It's like a whole other. That's uh, another whole podcast. Almost. Yeah, I think we may not be able to talk about that now, but. Let me just get here. You want to ask her something in the meanwhile? Well, I just I just have a comment to make, which is that I think that it was just such an incredible uh, and such an incredible success the way that you were able to center the female experience within this tradition, which is very patriarchal, and this text, which is very patriarchal, and this society and this you know world that's very patriarchal. That you were able to, I mean. When I think of your telling of this, I almost feel like the male characters are these, you know, not not in a negative way, but they're there and they're but there's the female experience and the and the richness of the characters and the deepness of of even even to try to not to turn Keke not from this like one dimensional character of like, and this is what this is what's done so much to to women also in the world is women are put on this binary of you're good, you're bad, you're a nun, you're a whore, you're a, you know, right. right. You know, and then you're, and then you're also put along, women are also then lined up along their, where they are in the fertility cycle. Like you're a virgin, you're a mother, you're a, you're, menop you're a, a menopause, you're a grandmother. And then, you know, you know, or you're separate from that, you know, you're a, a, a monk or a nun or something. And so I found it so interesting that you were able to kind of take these female characters and present them in all the many, many layers of, of what it is to be human and female. Um, for me, that is one of the, the most important reasons to, to really read this text and to re revisit this text through this through the eyes of, of Rinda, actually, to see what this text is. You know, for me, it was like, I mean, I just fell in love with the whole story again, all over. And all of these missing pieces and all of this sort of dry one-dimensional characters came so to life. And I think that if we're, if we're reading these stories and they're meant to transform us, they shouldn't be dry or one-dimensional because we're not. Yeah. So did you mm -hmm. find your thing? Well, I just want to add to what okay. you're saying, which is that, you know, even the traditional texts, like the first time I read the Ramayana, I think, was an Amachitra Katha comic probably right yeah like every all of us right yeah I, also, you I know I literally the first time I read Mahabharata yeah. was my mom's friend from India brought home the comic books that's right. my first introduction so I'm not should, ashamed I I think they're <laughs> made out of love <laughs> I'm not ashamed and then the next telling was um in my grandfather's house he had uh he had um abridged versions of 
uh, Krishna Leela and Mahabharata and Ramayana. Mm-hmm. And I probably read that as a young teenager. But, uh, you know, I don't really reread books, but these I've reread. You know, Leela is Leela. And so whatever the drawbacks might have been in those texts, still the, the devotion pulls us back in over and over again. And so that's probably how you came back to the story. And as hard as it was for you and your mom had to pressure you to do it, she had a reason. You know, she was also pulled into the story in such a way. It's so much part of her spiritual background, I imagine. So, Mm -hmm. but, um, so where I wanted to go with this is, can I just read one line from here? Okay. So this is, So this is after, you know, we've literally gone, this this is where the end of the book here and, and Sita is seeing Ram finally and he's seeing her and she's gotten dressed and she's, Hanuman has taken her to present her back to Ram again. And he says, um, actually, I'm not going to read what he says, but she says, You, Rama, are turning our victory over into the hands of our enemy. The coward who stole stole me from you is winning after all. By rejecting me, you set a curse on womankind that we will be blamed for the crimes men commit upon us. With the earth as my witness, I stand faultless in the face of your accusations. With the fire as my witness, I reject your pronouncement. (laughs) I mean, I just want to read that because really everything has to be read before and after that too. But in the next chapter, Fireborn. So this was sort of so key for this whole telling is um, when she goes into the fire, what happens? So incredible how she blesses all these beings. And, um, you know, everyone from... Kaike, Lakshmana, everyone. And um, then recognizes that while she is the goddess, she has the power of the goddess. She is the goddess. She recognizes that she is in this body. And that this is, but she, she finds a way to bring all the elements of the divine back into this body and live this life in this way and she I mean tell me if I'm wrong but she um I just feel like the 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 illustration on this can we see yeah yeah it's It's her face is like um is on some level like she as the as the mother accepts everything she has compassion for everyone including ram at this moment 
and how he may feel about the situation. And because she is as wide as that, as big as that, as deep as that, then she becomes fully present in the moment, which is sort of the, which is where divinity rests. And so she fully enters her divine being at this moment. And then whatever happens after, happens after. But for me, that's how this chapter feels. But would you like to share for you what what it is? I mean, just that part that you read. I, I, yeah, I mean, we are kind of in this phase right now of 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 reckoning and Me Too and women rising and and more awareness. But at the same time, it does, you know, we we have this legacy which is still very much imprinted in in men and women and yeah uh you know one of my deep meditations for for sita and ram you know we hear so much oh ram did this because he was the king and he had to set the example but for me it's actually yes ram did did this because the culture at the time demanded it of him yeah. It wasn't his personal preference to send Sita away. It wasn't his personal preference, you know, again, to to their love. You know, Ram, at the time, he could have had any woman. He could have had a harem of 300 women. He could have sent Sita away and been like, now I'm going to enjoy my new single life with all my new women. He didn't do that. He stayed celibate till the end of his days. He sent Sita away and to his you know, to to breaking his own heart. He wasn't enjoying a moment of his life after he sent her away. You know what I mean? So it wasn't, it wasn't him setting an example of this is what you should do. For me, my takeaway of, of this is, is sort of, and this might be a bit of a controversial message, but I feel like Sita and Ram, they showed if society is built up on the premise of this chastity and purity of the woman, this is what's going to happen. Because I know that if Sita as the princess is being treated this way, we know that those who are elite and in power, they get away with things. So if if the princess of the realm is 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 held to this standard of, of purity and chastity that Sita had to undergo, we can just imagine what the what normal women, what their lives were like. And that's just so disturbing and heartbreaking. And I felt like this for me is the light that Sita was shining on saying, is, is this the right way? Like even the prince, even, even the princess, even divinity themselves taking this form, look what we have to do because humanity has built up society in this hierarchy that we now have to play in. So I feel like the, 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 the Ramayan does deliver a very powerful message, but that message has been completely warped over time into, you know, Sita is submissive, Ram is the perfect man. And, you know, it's like, wait, 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 are we, are we really receiving the message here? 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's one really beautiful line in the Valmiki Ramayana that I love that Sita says to, to Ram. And I think I included it in the book, but she, but she, she says, she says, Ram, you're turning away from me the way a man with an eye disease turns away from the light. So for me, it was like, look, Valmiki himself knew it. The poet himself knew it. They weren't like, oh, this is the right thing that Ram is doing, sending, you know, Sita away. They're like, you're doing the wrong thing. And that was never something that, that was never a message that I ever heard. Like, wait, Ram did the wrong thing here. This wasn't a high moment of an example that men should aspire to treating their their women and their loved ones in this way. No, even Valmiki himself is saying, at that moment, Ram's vision was like an eye, eye disease, turning away from the light. Sita is the light, he's turning away. And this is not, um, you know, so I, I, you know, that's kind of a separate discussion in a way that the Ramayana and Ram has been weaponized. Sita has been weaponized for political and sometimes, you know, religious agendas. So, so, so for me, even the true meaning that, that the text the original text even has, has been covered and warped into, into, you know, these other agendas, which um, aren't even true to the original text. And I think that's why it's so important that women, not only, you know, women claim their agency and step into the light and say, let's look at these texts now. Let's look at them. Let's peel off these other layers of really the dust of the mirror of the heart, because we're just, you know, we're just sort of repeating and repeating, you know, our roles within this hierarchy of beings, and maybe we're missing the teachings. And that's what's, you know, so beautiful about what you just said is like, you're not actually, you're not changing what what happens in the story, but you're having a, maybe you're peeling off a layer of something that's no longer needed, you know, and that's what an narta is. It's something that's not needed anymore to look at it from a new perspective. And or just the whole way you did this. And I also love this, this line where I think it, Sita says that she does not, she's not even going to do the work for Ram. She says, um, <laughs> he will handle his own shadows. Yes, and yes. it's, it's very much, I think, part of the, the sort of the hero's journey of women to, to set down the, the shadows of everyone around them and just to, you know, to, to have this sort of internal experience where they're dealing with their own you know, lives and working on their own things. And I just felt like that was such a powerful uh, line from the text that she's saying that. And and her her ability to 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 stay centered in the in the story. I mean, how you were able to do that is just for me, it's a whole new teaching. It's kind of exciting. Um, so I hope a lot of people read this book because it's such a good one. That and it's such an important um perspective that um you know and you have a you're deeply rooted in the tradition you're generations deep now you know with your mom helping and then you're writing this story while you're pregnant and their children and the dedication to your children and to me um you're sort of standing at the center of that and and holding the whole thing together it's really amazing Hmm. Brenda I want to ask you um yes I second that (laughs) no doubt um if we zoom out and we look at scriptural texts like this 
whether it's this or Mahabharat or, you know, Devi Bhagavatam or whatever we might be looking at. What for you is the benefit or the purpose of exploring these texts or doing any kind of practice in our bhakti yoga tradition? What is that for you? Well, here, uh, what's just coming to me immediately is sort of um, this story that I've been telling myself, you know, having grown up with all this, I often feel like I didn't have a choice. I didn't choose this. Um, I have to, I have to work with this because it's been imprinted in, into me so much that um, even, you know, I had times in my being a teen or a young adult where I really try to walk away from all of this, you know, and I, and I wanted to walk away, but it, that just wasn't possible because it's so in my DNA. So for me, the only way forward is to have my own experience with it. That for, for me uh, was really the key to transform my relationship with the Ramayana because, you know, I had received it through so many lenses. And then to have my own experience with the text was transformative. And I feel like that's, uh, it opened my eyes to that that's how bhakti must be. It has to be from here, from my heart, mm-hmm. you know. I have to land into my heart and see how, what my experience with these texts are. And like you've already said, they are these rich devotional. My, my son. <laughs> he wants me, so now he's getting very. But... We can be done. We can be done in a minute. He's he just uh, prefers me, but Vish fully can handle himself no problem yeah so like you already said um not i would i would add to your your you were saying that these are lila these are devotional texts that kind of deserve reading and rereading and are enriching when we we come back to them i would take it even a step further to say that we as human beings whether whether we really are into bhakti yoga or not you know, and Brene Brown talks about this, uh, that stories are so important. All societies, all, uh, you know, all countries, all nations have these, you know, origin stories. They have these uh, need for storytelling. So it's so much part of every person's need even the way we understand our own lives is through these stories you know what happened to me what my mother and father you know all these these are the stories that make us make me me and and so a story like the ramayan has so many rich archetypes and has it fulfills a really strong need within each of us to find uh to to have those stories uh to grapple with, you know, I feel like we have that need, whether we're looking for it in movies or in, in podcasts or, you know, or, or news feeds or, you know, whatever we, we, we want these, these stories. So uh, 
I feel like the Ramayana and the Mahabharata, they, they all have that really rich element that's very satisfying, whether you're coming to it for religious or devotional reasons or not. You know, it's a really standalone text. For example, the translation that I use, a scholarly translation by the Princeton team, they're not necessarily Ram Bhaktas. They're not necessarily devotees or or religiously, you know, worshipping Ram and Sita and like that. But 100% for sure they're devotees of the text itself. You know, they know each word. They know all the shlokas. They know all the history of the co- commentary on all the shlokas. So for me, it was just like, I trust them because I see that they're devotees of the text itself. So I I, I think it's, I think specifically the Ramayana, but the Mahabharata too, it's, it's a rich, beautiful poem accessible to, to anyone, whether you, you are religiously inclined or not, you know? I love that you say that they're devotees of the text. That's yeah, that was like that was so great. <laughs> I mean, that's you know, for me, people ask me all the time, you know, what does chanting mean to you? And for me, it's like it's my path, the journey, and the destination, like mm-hmm. all in one place. And so I, mm-hmm. I get what you're saying. And and I really think we can keep talking for the next three days. But I want to <laughs> just say that I really hope that you will also um make the other two books into an audio book eventually mm-hmm. if that opportunity arises i pray for that to happen because i enjoyed the first one that way thank you and um do you have any more projects on the table for you in the future yes i'm working <laughs> on <laughs> i i i mean for one i want to do a children's version of the three books so three but children's versions using my mom's art and sort of like a very condensed uh version so that's something that i'm i'm i i've been starting to work on and it's going to be from the perspective of the three queens mm. you know because it's three books so each book is going to be you know koshalia okay kaikei sumitra so uh, i have that in the works but more just personally, I am working on a fantasy trilogy right now that is uh, based on or or draws on, you know, you want to call it Hindu mythology or Mahabharata Ramayana, all these sort of, you know, yogic practices and like that. But it's it's a fantasy trilogy. So that's what I'm working on now. And I am done with the draft of book one. Congratulations. <laughs> may we receive more of your work very soon yeah thank you thanks for being with us today brinda i hope we'll see each other all soon <laughs> thank you so much i feel so uplifted and enriched by your questions by the fact that you read my books and you know i i feel very deeply grateful for this conversation thank you so much same with us thank, thank you. you for joining us Rama, 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 Sita, Rama.